So I'm back in Melbourne now. Got to spend a beautiful four days up in Brizzy. Got to see my family, which was wonderful. Got to see my little nephew and niece. I used to look after my nephew one day a week and it's been lonely without him here. I've really missed him and I've missed um, seeing my niece grow up over the last six months. She's just a totally different being now. Um, and so it was just really, really lovely to spend time with them while I was up there. On the last day that we were there, we went out to lunch, the whole family, um, my brothers, my mom, my sisters-in-law, partners, and my nephew. And he's, he's just four, uh, four going on 14, as they say. And he was just having one of those kind of scratchy days, like, you know, he didn't, he didn't want to be out to lunch with people being polite, sitting around a table. He wanted to go outside and, and see those, um, those water dragons that were running around everywhere. The thing about Queensland is there's just animals everywhere. (laughs) And when you're four, it's pretty great. So I was sort of trying to shepherd him between the table and the outside where we were chasing water dragons around. Um, and yeah, just trying to trying to keep an eye on him without forcing him to kind of conform to the whole sit at the table and be a good boy thing. I feel like I've gotten a little bit better over the last couple of years at being an actual participant in my family rather than a weird disgruntled bystander, which has kind of been my role for way longer than I care to admit. And I'm not really sure why. I don't have any great reasons. I have a collection of fairly poor reasons for doing that. But I think there are certain things that mean that I come off as more of a black sheep than I want to. I do like a lot of alone time, which will probably come as a surprise to nobody. I can be really quiet and introverted. I'd really rather hang out in a secondhand bookshop than do just about anything. In fact, while we were in Brizzy, I uh, made a special trip to Archives Fine Books and holy shit, they have such a great poetry section. (laughs) It was so good. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I think I come off as a bit standoffish and a bit of a weirdo and I don't mean to, but that's just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of how I am and I can't really change it um, as much as I would like to I and I think part of it is too that like my family my family writes me into that role a little bit and a big part of the problem is the poetry thing I think the fact that I think about poems write poems um, that I've had these these books out it all kind of goes into the category of like reasons Alice is a little bit different which is fine like you know great problem to have but while we were at this lunch it came up in this way that was so ridiculous and hilarious and it's got me thinking Well, what are you doing? Oh, hello there, bird old pal. 
I'm glad you're up. And you woke me up. What are you typing? Well, I'm writing a poem, Bert. In the middle of the night? Well, you never know when you're going to get a good idea for a poem, Bert. Hey, hey, would you like to know what my poem's about? No, I want to go to sleep. It's about the park, Bert. <sighs> it goes like this. Uh, the park. You see, that's the name of the poem, Bert. Terrific. Mm -hmm. The park <sighs> by Ernie. <clears throat> I like flowers. I like dirt. But most of all, I like... Well? Well, what, Bert? Well, why, why, why you stop? Well, you see, I can't think of a word that rhymes with dirt, Bert. <sighs> can you think of something? No, all I can think of is sleep, Ernie. No, sleep doesn't rhyme with dirt, Bert. <laughs> so we were sitting there, and everybody knew that the day before, I had taken off for a couple of hours to go and do this interview with Shastra. And so people were saying, you know, how did your interview with the poet go yesterday? And I was sort of, you know, umming and ahhing around an answer. And my nephew jumped in and said, what's a poet? And at that point, I just focused really, really hard on what I was eating and tried to ignore what was going on around me because everybody around the table jumped in and started to try to answer, like, what's a poet? And it was so funny to listen to the way that people were answering this question because it became kind of circular. It was like, a poet is someone who writes poems, like Arnie Al. Arnie Al's a poet because she writes poetry. And at one point, my sister-in-law was spelling it out for my nephew. She's going, P-O-E-T, poet. And I was just focusing really, really hard on what I was eating. I... I don't know, I just, I was, I wasn't so much embarrassed, I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to have this conversation because I guess what I was feeling at that moment was like, yeah, what I do is kind of ridiculous. When you look at almost anything from the perspective of a four-year-old, anything that happens in the adult world, so much of it just seems like a complete waste of time. <laughs> But luckily, when you're talking to a four-year-old, the conversation moves really quickly. And so within about 15 seconds, we were back to what's the fastest fish? And is a prawn faster than a cheetah? My nephew just loves fast things. He, he, he loves to measure how fast things can go. Um, it doesn't really matter what the number is as long as it's a big number. Uh, wait, wait a second. I've what? got it, I've got it. What? Rubber ducky. I like flowers. I like dirt, but most of all, I like my rubber ducky. What do you think, Bert? Ernie. You're right, Bert. You're right. Rubber ducky doesn't sound like dirt. Of course not. You need a word that sounds the same as dirt. <sighs> to me, this moment kind of perfectly encapsulated how ridiculous poetry can be when you take it out of its little hothouse and try to, to show it to... I guess people in the real world. I don't know if that's a fair way to put it. I say it's ridiculous, but at the same time, honestly, poetry is the most important thing in my life. I've had periods when I've been less engaged with it and periods when I'm more connected to it. But as I mentioned in that interview with Shastra, since I read that Wilfred Owen poem, 
it's been there. And nothing feels more important. Nothing can do for me what poetry does. And there's nothing else that I really want to be, I guess. I don't want to be a fiction writer. I don't want to be known for non-fiction. This is the thing that I want to spend my time doing and, and getting better at. But what's crazy about that is I can't really define it, I've realized. You know, in that moment when my nephew said, what's a poet? I realized I couldn't answer him. I can't define it in a way that would make any sense to a four-year-old. But I thought I would try and come up with a couple of theories. I know. Skirt. 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 I like flowers. I like dirt. But most of all, I like my skirt. Fine. How about that, Bert? Terrific. Dirt and skirt rhyme. They rhyme. Wonderful. Right. Hallelujah. Good. Good night, Bert. Good night. Mm-hmm. Wait a second. Uh-uh. Nope. Oh, it just... Ah! It just won't work, Bert. Ernie, <sighs> what is the matter now? The matter's my poem, Bert. Most of all, I like my skirt. I don't even have a skirt, Bert. Ernie, uh, Ernie, it is late. Can't we just finish this tomorrow? Well, just need to find another word that rhymes with dirt, Bert. Fine. How about tomorrow? Okay, tomorrow. Good. Good night, Bert. Good night, Ernie. Right. I've got three possibilities here. One is a poet is someone who writes poems. Second, a poet is someone who other people say is a poet. And then the third, a poet is someone who says that they are a poet. Those are my like three attempts at a definition. Because it is, it's it's really circular. Like when you look this word up in the dictionary, it's like poet somebody who writes poems but as soon as you start to unpack that it sort of falls apart right like a poet is someone who writes poems okay so how often do they need to write poems um if i write one poem a year is that enough does that am i a poet at what point do i lose my poetry license if I don't write for five years, am I definitely not a poet anymore? And then can I pick it back up? So already it's, it's getting shaky. What kind of poems do I have to write? So how do we measure whether what I'm writing is a poem or not? Who gets to decide that? What are their credentials? And do the poems I write have to be good and again, how do we know whether they're good? Who's going to decide that for me? Who's going to tell me? So yeah, a poet is someone who writes poems, um, doesn't get us very far. So what if we go to a poet is someone who other people say is a poet? And this is something I feel like has shifted a little bit recently. When I first started making this podcast, I feel like the rule was you're only a poet when someone else tells you that you're a poet. You're never allowed to call yourself a poet. You can say, I write poems at a stretch, but you have to wait to be, you have to wait for this label to be given to you by somebody else. 
But then weirdly, that gets complicated because people who don't write what we would immediately recognize as a poem can have that label applied to them too. So you could say a, a nonfiction writer is a poet or a musician is a poet because of the way they write lyrics. It's not discrete. It can be applied to various types of work, various types of people. But I don't know, maybe that's maybe that takes us somewhere. If somebody else says I'm a poet, then maybe I know something about what it is I'm doing. But then more recently, I feel like there's been this swing around to many more people, I guess, branding themselves as a poet. Um, I'm putting heavy quote marks around that word branding, but basically just saying I'm a poet. Like you can signal you're a poet in your social media bio without anyone's permission. You don't have to be posting poetry even to do that. I definitely don't want to get distracted by who's allowed to call themselves a poet. I'm more interested in what we might expect of that person when we believe them. If somebody says they're a poet, what are we expecting them to do? And then we're back at the start. What do they have to write? How often do they have to write it? Do they have to share what they've written in public? Do they have to have some kind of positive response to what they're doing? You know, we've all got that person that we know of who says they're a poet and writes a lot and probably makes that work public a lot regularly, who doesn't write good work or what we think of as good work, doesn't write work that makes us happy. <laughs> Are they a poet? Or is it a question of you have to share your work in public via a medium that isn't within your control? Do you have to make it past a gatekeeper to be a poet? I realize all these questions are probably quite annoying. <laughs> but, you know, I keep wondering, like, what I would say to my nephew, what I will say to him, because I, I hope that I'm still writing and publishing and I hope that I'm still thinking about poetry when he's old enough to care and maybe he'll never care. But, I, yeah, I hope that I get to talk with him about this one day. Maybe I'm only a poet when I'm writing a poem. But I don't know, like, why would we apply that rule to poetry when we don't say, oh, you're only a violinist when you're playing the violin, or you're only a carpenter when you are sawing wood and nailing it together? It's, it's weird how much work this how much is demanded of this word when you get down to it I guess at that moment when my nephew answered that question I probably well I didn't feel like a poet I felt like a woman attempting to be a good daughter and a good sister and a good auntie poetry couldn't have been further from my mind at that moment but the day before I was sitting with someone and we were talking about poetry and then we went out for drinks with another poet and it was great and I very much felt like a poet that night. I guess for me there are days when it feels more applicable 
and days when it feels pretty far away, which is strange because I don't feel that way about really any of the other descriptors that could be applied to me. The last piece of this is to do with legacy. When I was up in Brisbane and managed to get to the very beautiful Archives Fine Books, secondhand bookshop, I found, I mean, they just have the best poetry collection, and I found a bunch of books by my great uncle, John Blight. I've talked about him once on here before, so I don't want to go into huge amounts of detail here, but the understanding I have of John Blight's life is that he was, you know, he was he's relatively well recognized in his time. He published 10 books. He won a bunch of awards, you know, Order of Australia, that kind of thing. But his contemporaries, which include people like Judith Wright, have far greater legacies. I read a little biography of him just before that described him as a bit of a loner, bit of a bit of an outsider poet. But I think that he must have sold reasonably well in his time because I do find his books around, especially up in Brisbane, which is where he lived, that makes sense. But, you know, these are not books that people are handing on to their kids. <laughs> these are like, they're going to the secondhand bookshop. That is their next stop. And they're not exactly flying off the shelves there because, you know, he he's in libraries, he's in various anthologies, he wrote for a good chunk of his life. He was a poet, but I guess what we'd have to conclude by looking at the fact that he's, he's no longer spoken about really at all um, is that he, his legacy is, is one of, I guess, a minor poet, somebody who, who went a certain way with poetry and, and that, as far, that was as far as they could go in their lifetime. And, and over time, John Blight will probably be you know, in, increasingly forgotten. But he was a poet. I think, it's, I think we can say safely that he was a poet. And maybe that is just because, you know, there's a chunk of the bookshelf at Archives Fine Books that has his books on them. So maybe that is as far as the, as the definition goes. But so a few years ago, just to kind of complicate this idea even further, a few years ago, I got an email from my dad's cousin saying that she'd heard that I wrote poems and she sent me a bunch of stuff and part of what she wanted to share with me was something that she'd found in the family archives. And these were poems by my great uncle's sister, my grandmother. One of the first poems I ever had published was about my grandmother. And I had vague memories that she was involved with what my dad used to call the family magazine, which as it turned out was a journal called Link, Literature in North Queensland. I don't know why he calls it the family magazine, because as far as I can tell, it didn't actually have that great of a, a link to our family. But anyway, Dad said she used to write short stories, but looking at her publication history, which is not that extensive, the things that she did get published were more poetry and reviews of poetry. She was publishing over about a 10-year span from the 80s to the 90s, and it was mostly in this one journal, 
Like I say, it was reviews, some poems, and a couple of short stories. What I remember about my grandmother was that she was very quiet. She was a very worried person, I guess. Um, I think that's fair to say. She was also that person in the family who just loved me in this totally unreserved and sweet way. You know, a grandmother gets to opt out of any kind of um, discipline or like behavioral work. They just get to love you. And she was that person, I guess, who I felt like shared that um, tendency towards being quiet and, yeah, maybe being a little bit overly concerned with what was going to happen next. And I don't think that's genetic, but I think it is something that I inherited. Yeah, so I, I remember being around her when I was, yeah, like in my early childhood and up until my early teens and I she died when I was at at about 14 I think maybe 14 15 I think the last time we would have spent any real time together was just before my parents got divorced and I think I think basically what happened was they split up and then within a couple of years she died and I didn't go to her funeral which I still really regret I just was too wrapped up in being a recalcitrant teenager, essentially. I was just like, I don't want to do what anybody wants me to do. And I was very prickly. And I think my dad just kind of looked at the whole situation and went, you know what, I think I'll go and I'll take your little brother and you can just stay here, (laughs) which is a totally fair call. But I, um, yeah, I don't know why I didn't go but I didn't and when my cousin sent me these poems of hers I I felt so many things and a huge part of what I felt was I really wish that she'd lived long enough for me to get over myself so that we could have talked about this stuff I wish that I'd known her as a poet because I think you know having read some of John Blight's stuff, like I definitely haven't read all 10 books, um, some of his poetry, and having read these these few poems that my dad's cousin sent, I think that my grandmother was just as good as her brother. In fact, I think she might have been better. But for whatever reason, for so many reasons, he became the poet So, look, I'm going to share with you one of these poems. So my grandmother's name is Helen Allen, and this is a poem of hers, uh, one of the two that I have at the moment, and I'm sure one day I'll I'll get to see more. But, um, yeah, this is is called Being Blue at Jurama. Having just looked it up, Jurama is um, a little over an hour out of Townsville, Probably at the time this was written a bit longer. So yeah, being blue at Jarama. Afternoon at Jarama. Picnic tea on the council table. Beside us the innocent creek, drowning in a painted pool. Apparently painlessly, with sinister collusion from that rock escarpment, angled to bar escape. Fallen leaves seem to sail on the glassy surface, 
look aside and they've shifted, stare, and they're suddenly still. A turning of trees' heads, fracture of reflected rock. The afternoon breezes up. On cue, two butterflies, bluer than seems essential, or even wise for their safety, soundlessly follow an intricate flight path along the gorge, foolishly tracing the longest distance between two points. You've brought me here for consolation, but my gaze is inward. I do register blue butterflies above the mirror, pull, not two now, four, but only in retrospect have I really seen Jurama. So I definitely can't talk critically about my grandmother's poem, like I'm not gonna, <laughs> not gonna say what I think makes it good or bad. Um, I know that I understand the emotion that she is talking about there. I know very intimately what it is like to have a, a wonderful person in your life who tries to get you out of your head and, and take you somewhere where you're going to feel a little bit better, you know, just get out of yourself and to just sit there and feel anxious and sad and worried and have everything from the water to the leaves to the butterflies just be imbued with this sense of menace. Like I feel that so strongly and you know that's one of the things that I also wish I could have spoken with her about if it's not um, hereditary you know at least would have been nice <laughs> to once I had some self-awareness and had gotten over myself a bit to be able to say hey how do you deal with this um, yeah so the question I'm left with here is you know nobody probably besides me and my dad and my dad's cousin, a few others in the family, even know that my grandmother wrote poetry. So was she a poet or not? Even asking that question, obviously I feel that she was. She absolutely was a poet. And I, obviously I have no idea whether she wanted to be known or whether it would bother her at all that John Blight was remembered to a certain degree and that her work wasn't better known. I, I just don't know. I, I don't even know if I'll ever be able to find that out from reading her papers when I, when I finally get the chance to do that. I, I suspect that she both wanted to be known and didn't. And look, maybe this is my bias, but I feel like if you write short stories and criticism, but you also write poetry, it's poetry that's the thing. It's poetry that you really want to be known for. That other stuff is a sideline. <laughs> that's how I think about it anyway. So yeah, these are all questions that I, I wish I could have put to her. And look, my nephew probably will never ask me about it, um, which is probably to both of our benefits. But maybe one day I'll come up with a good definition that will help me explain what it is that I do here. <laughs> yeah. First thing I'm going to do is find another word that rhymes with dirt, Bert. Dirt, Bert. Dirt, Bert. Dirt, Bert. Dirt, Bert, Dirt, ah! Dirt, Bert. Isn't that wonderful?
Burn it! Why, yeah. why, why, what's going on? I just thought of another word that rhymes with dirt, Bert. Uh, listen, uh, listen. <clears throat> the Park by Ernie. Uh, I like flowers, I like dirt, but most of all, I like Bert. Hmm? Hey. Ernie, yeah. That, that's beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful poem. It rhymes and everything. Wow. Thank you, Bert. Well, gosh. Good night, Bert. You use my name and everything, too. That's wonderful. Gosh, how'd that go? goes, I like flowers. I like dirt. But most of all, I like Bert. Oh, Ernie, I... Well, I didn't know you were such a poet. That's terrific. Huh? Ernie? Hey, Ernie. Oh, please, Bert. Have some consideration. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs>